Podcast 037, Intentional Community. Sponsored by my buddies at PantryParatus.com. They sell food preservation tools. Produce, prepare, preserve your own harvest. All right, today's the big topic. This, this is this is the topic I should have done podcast number three or so, and and but it's a big one, and so it's like uh, got a I don't know a good reason to put it off over and over, I suppose. <laughs> um, it's about community, and other people have asked you for your thoughts on getting along because you definitely have expressed some opinions about getting along on the forums. Yeah, yeah, it's it's and it's a big topic. And you know, um I think I think that the uh the topic of just getting along, let alone intentional community or community, um uh to to record all thoughts on this space could fill a library and we still haven't even covered three percent of it. And so it's one of those things where the only thing we can do is is Record some potentially helpful observations or something like that, and and uh, I know that you brought it up that somebody asked about it, and on a, on a previous podcast we I can't remember what we covered on it or whatever, but but I do know that, that after that podcast I I don't know something popped into my head about it, and it's like oh you know what I should have said, and and the uh, the 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 thing that I I mean there's a lot of little bits and bobs that I think are I don't know, I've pointed out probably a hundred different times on permies.com, but um, on that particular one, I, I think an important one is is that um, I, I think that only 5% of the population is what you might call noble. And and for some people, um, uh, they, they think that, you know, people are generally good. And I think people are generally human, and I think that you know it's it's only this this five percent that's that's noble. And when talking about intentional community, a lot of people design their communities with the idea that everybody in the community will be noble, and they kind of depend on that. And um, I I think that that a good a, a way of detecting who really is noble because everybody. Everybody looks great when surrounded by awesomeness. When everything is always smooth, everybody looks smooth. Everybody seems to be just dandy. And it's when thing when things get awkward, when the shit hits the fan, that's when you find out who is noble, who is cool. Who are the good people? Because I think 95% are going to either scatter or make the situation worse. And um, and it'll come in an infinite number of flavors. Well, and we've talked about this a lot. Um, we met almost three years ago, and community has been a big focus of yours um, and a big focus of how you would like to run your farm. And a big focus of, of, I mean, you ran a community house and you've done other community experiments. You've gone to um, building a community workshops with Diana Leaf Christian. You've interviewed people 
at communities and exiting communities. And so I think I think you've done, you know, let alone all your work on the forums, not just Permies Forum, but the Code Ranch forums that you built to huge, huge volume of activity and people. So that yeah, I, I there are some areas where you and I disagree but a lot of areas where I really respect your knowledge and your research and your experience in this space. And I, I think it's, it's interesting how I think some of your models and your ideas are planning for not just for people who aren't as noble, but they're just planning for, you know, to try and avoid awkwardness and avoid um, potential problems that you've seen come up in other models. So we, we have a whole list of different things to touch on with that. And I, I segued a little bit to explain some of this history and where you're coming from with communities and kind of give a preview of what we'll talk about um, because you started diving into the one piece of it where you see very few people will act nobly when things get icky. Um, that's your, you know, that's your observation and your estimation. And you and I have dickered over that quite a bit over, you know, how many people really are in that percentage or not in that percentage. And, and that's, What is the percentage? Yeah, and that's not the point. The point is there are design systems that, like you said, are designed as if everybody will behave nobly all the time. And then there are ways you can design to protect against, you know, even the the most advanced or mature person might get defensive or sensitive or reactive in a certain situation. You know, we're all human. So um, it's good to plan for that as well. So, uh, boy, uh, as you're going through all that stuff, I've got like, you know, 40 things to say, and, and of course I forgot all of them, but maybe the, the, the last couple. But, but I do think that, that yeah, the, the key of it is, is that if you design your system, and that's basically a big part of intentional community. You see, um, I, I've been to I don't know how many places where it's like, we're putting together a community, and um, uh, here's how it's going to work, and here's how we're all going to have equal say, and, 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 and they're always, and it, and it just seems like the system is designed where everybody in it is going to be noble. And, um, and there's, there's very little in place for if people turn out to be less than noble. And so the, the system is really depending upon the discipline of all the, all the participants and, and like always, always, 100% of the time, being noble. And then the system, their design will work. And, uh, um, but I don't know, it's just every time I've seen these systems and talked to these people and it's like, I, I, I uh, and I have to admit, when I first started, it seemed, oh yeah, that's obvious. And then, you know, as the years pass, it's like, this system sucks. It's like, uh, um, it just takes one bad guy to bring it down, really. And, and, um, uh, and so people still talk about that. And, and so I'm, I've, I'm trying to, come up with ways that this could work better. And as I do all this research, I find that there are systems that are working out there, and they are far more common than the standard intentional community design. And uh, the, the, the standard intentional community design that turns out to be 
rather rare. Now, um, I, I just had a thought of a factor that you didn't write down ahead of time, and I better say it before I forget it. Okay. And that is that is a little bit of math. Okay. Um, first, let's explore the idea of two people, and uh, let's call it a marriage. And, and each party has equal say. It's a 50-50 marriage. And um, uh, as opposed to 60, 70 years ago, when most marriages were very male-dominant, now our marriages are set up to be very equal, a lot of equality. And um, uh, the divorce rate, I understand, is something like 50% or even higher than 50%. Something like that. So that would mean that, that this system isn't turning out to work 90% of the time. It's falling well short of being a system that generally works. And that's just with marriages, with where two people have been together long enough to say, and we will be together forever. <laughs> and, uh, and now you've got, um, uh, let's throw into the mix, you know, relationships where it's like, let's move in together. And, you know, what is the failure rate of that? Um, probably higher than 50%. Um, and then if we throw in other relationships where it's like, uh, this relationship is so good that we're going to wear the label boyfriend-girlfriend, um, in, in which case, you know, which, which would probably be like people are sharing their bodies to the point that it's like, probably a higher level of sharing than you would probably do in an intentional community. And yet, what is the failure rate of those relationships? And, and so now as we explore all of these numbers, as we, and it's like, are we beyond 90% now? Probably. We're probably beyond 90% failure rate. I mean, just with any one average individual, they probably have seven or eight relationships in their lifetime, and um, their, their, their failure rate is either something like 80%, in which case their current relationship has lasted, or their failure rate is 100%. They're currently single, and um, all their past relationships have failed. Now, I want to compound that math. If you have two people, you have one relationship. But we're talking about the idea of, like, say, a dozen people living under one roof. So when you have three people, you have three relationships. So we jumped from one to three. We added two. So now we went from one relationship to three relationships. Now when you add four, you have all the same relationships that you had before, which was three, and now we've added one more person to it, and that one more person has a relationship with each of those three people, which is three. So now we have six relationships. There, with four people, there are six relationships. Now we add a fifth person. That adds four more relationships. So now are, are we not, see, six plus four is nine. We're at nine relationships with four people. Six plus four is ten. Six plus four is ten. <laughs> oh, no. See, I need paper here to figure this out. Okay. So um, now we're at ten relationships, and we add a uh, – and this is, this is ten relationships, and this is with five people, right? I, so, I'm not understanding well, what you're right. doing. But, but it does get more and more complicated. I, when I you get, get that Yeah, idea. when you get to 12 people, I think it's hundreds of relationships. Sure. Sure. You know, it's it's a lot. Yeah. And and then um, uh, now 
we have this expectation. If we've designed our system to expect that everybody is mobile, we, um, we have this expectation that our failure rate is going to be better than that of divorces and of relationships in general. And it's kind of like, you know, I think what we need to do is we need to embrace within the system the idea that um, uh, this, this greater than 90% failure rate of, um, of just one-on-one relationships and, and be resilient, you know, based on that. And, um, and so when you have a system that's consensus-based, you are dependent upon those hundreds of relationships within a dozen people. And, and I, I, now I wish that, that I had ahead of the time written down these numbers and stuff like that and come up with them. We can do it later, and you can post it on the forums. Okay. There's a, there's okay. a thought. Yeah. Um, that, uh, that when there is a problem with one relationship or two relationships, then the consensus system is on hold until that relationship can get resolved. And a lot of consensus-based systems will have things in it so that you can um, resolve differences within your group and and, uh, have good communication and stuff like that. Um, Well, and I hope people in the background are also thinking about not just an intentional community, but... Um, and, and you're using the example of personal relationships, but of course there's also business relationships, as in partnerships or work relationships and employees, and, and many people looking at doing a permaculture um, system or a permaculture farm or a full farm ecosystem. They're looking at interns and woofers, and, and so just in the background, that's what I'm thinking of as you're talking about 12 people in one place. I'm thinking of how it correlates not just personally but professionally and in lots of different circumstances. I just wanted to add that in. Right. There's all kinds of things where you have relationships of different depths and some work out better than others. Yeah. And in fact, the ones where you enter into a very personal relationship, the reason why you entered into it is because you tested the relationship and found that the relationship was superior to the relationships that you had with other people. I mean, if you were possibly in a uh, business relationship with somebody and it was really good, that person might, you know, get an upgraded status to my buddy, my friend, <laughs> and right. and then, uh, you know, and, and possibly even my best friend. We go out every day. Or, or um, you know, my sexual partner. <laughs> I'm that into them. So, uh, and, and then, of course, we talk about the failure rates of those. And so it, it does seem like for, for all human relationships, you know, at least our culture seems to have this, this high failure rate. And I don't think it's limited to just our culture. Um, I would think that you can visit almost any culture and, and you'll find similar results. Right. And, and so um, it's great that we have such diversity and that, you know, there, there are a lot of folks out there that, that are passionate about some path, and it's good that our community has somebody that's passionate about that path. And then somebody will else will be passionate about another path, and those two paths don't generally go together, and so then we'll find those people not exactly hanging out every day, which is okay. We have a, you know, we, we've maintained a diverse community, and, and uh, it's, it's not required that we all get along. Now, 
Okay, you, you're, you're trying to say something. What are you trying to say? Well, I'm Spit just wondering where... <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, right, right. Like I, like I can get a word in edgewise. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you your chance. Um, I'm, I'm just thinking that we might need to back up, and, and maybe this is where you're yeah. going, but explain some the typical intentional community models and, and their governance models of consensus, modified consensus, those... Those kind of models, okay. but maybe that's where you're going. Okay, here uh, that's a, you make a good point. We should back up and explain some things. And I and I want you to hold that thought, and I want to come to that one because before doing that one, I want to explain why I give a damn, okay. and and how I think it fits in with permaculture. Okay. And so um, in 2005, um, I, uh, just before leaving the farm, I was coming to the conclusion of. You know what? Uh, this this isn't enough. You know, um, uh, at the time, I had um, three people that were working on the farm that were paid to work there, and um, just just short term, and uh, and then one other adult um, that that was kind of working, and um, uh, and then of course two kids, but. Um, uh, the thing I realized is, you know what, I, to, for, to, to do all the things that I want to do, I really need to have um, six adults um, that, that, are, that stay on the farm year-round, and each of the six has a passion about an aspect of the farm, and that during the warmer seasons, we might have like a dozen interns, and that this is the minimal package to do all the things that I want to do. And, and granted, while I was trying to do it all um, and, and be the, the run point on the knowledge space for each one of these aspects, it's, it's overwhelming. And to, to do a good job, and then it's like I wanted to add in more things. But for, you were, weren't you asking me the other day about raising rabbits? Somebody, right. somebody was asking me about it. Okay, it was you. And, and it's kind of like, you know, with rabbits... I wanted to raise rabbits, but I did not want to do the hutch thing. Right. And I was gathering information about pastured rabbits where they would, you know, do open colonies and the issues with it and how to mitigate those issues and, and things of that nature. And really what would have been great would have been to have somebody else who was more passionate about it than me running point, making it happen, and, and then it's like, you know, I could do my research and they could do their research and we could share and together we would grow right. um, as opposed to like I'm the only person and everybody wanted to just tell me I'm doing it wrong because it's not in hutches and it was, you know, a lot of my efforts were being um, hampered. Just not enough from, hours in the day. The, heck, yeah. Heck, not yeah. enough hours in the day. And so I feel Makes like sense. I want to be part of a community where there's a bunch of people who are as passionate about stuff as I am, only they might each be passionate about a different aspect. Sure. And so, you know, how do we get and, – and then together it'll be crazy awesome as opposed to – I mean, granted, it's like look at Sepp Holzer. <coughs> wow. The things that that guy has accomplished, amazing. And now, well, what if uh, on Sepp's land he had, um, you know, four other guys, you know, not necessarily guys, four other people 
um, that were each, you know, super as passionate as him, but just about different aspects. And then, and then maybe um, as much as we hear about his pigs and we hear about his hugel culture and his terraces and ponds and fish, we might also hear about, um, uh, you know, there will be another guy there, Ulf, and we'll hear about Ulf's uh, uh, bees and um, Ulf's uh, um, uh, rabbits. Yeah, yeah. And we've got the idea. Okay, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. So... I, I got the idea that, that I needed more people. And so when I left the farm, because the thing as I was thinking about it was, is that the whole idea of community and having these people be able to work together and live together and all that stuff, that, that the issues there were about 20 times more complicated than all the rest of permaculture put together. And so it's like as much as I felt at that point in time I was on an awesome permaculture path, I felt like, and now I'm starting off at square one, learning a whole new area of stuff that is even far more massive. And so I, um, uh, I, I found out that Diana Leaf Christian was coming to Canada to, to Let's say who she is. So Diana Leaf Christian is the uh, author of two books, the two premier books on intentional community, uh, and uh, she used to be the editor of uh, Communities Magazine for something like, I don't know, was it 14 years or 17 years, some, some crazy long time. And, and basically, based upon all of my research, she is the authority Unintentional community. Now, um, here's your two books. Okay, creating a life together and finding community. Yeah, are are the two books. And um, I um, I got to know so so that year 2005, I was fortunate to attend a workshop um, up in uh, on Vancouver Island um, in uh, in Canada, British Columbia, Canada, uh, that that she was teaching, and. Um, and so I was just a student. There's like 25 students there. And so, um, and I had questions for her, which I'm sure she found annoying. But the one thing is, we're sitting around dinner, and one night, I think it was the first night, we're sitting around having dinner, and she was sitting across from me, and she explained a problem that she was having in her community. But now, I had just finished up a stint as a, as a corporate whore, where a big part of my job was to um, have progress with um, a, with project development, despite engineers not quite seeing eye to eye, and so the problem that she described was something that I had seen a lot of in my work. So I made a suggestion. So here she's a teacher, I'm the student, but I made a suggestion, thinking that she would say, "Oh, I tried that." That's stupid. <laughs> Instead, she seemed to really like it. And later, she went and she tried it. And it worked. So she uh, contacted me, and we've been in contact ever since. Um, and uh, uh, there have been several occasions. Well, anyway, I, I visit with her a lot. I've talked to her a lot. She's awesome. She's totally awesome. I don't, I currently, my current philosophies are different from hers. And, and uh, I'm sure that if you go to any intentional community and you say, whose philosophies do you follow, Diana Leaf Christian or Paul Wheaton? 
I'm sure they're all going to say, well, Diana Leaf Christian is who? It's awesome. Who's this other guy? That you said, I don't know who that is. So um, uh, I, my, my philosophies are, um, I suppose, not popular, um, but uh, um, I've, I've stayed in contact with her. I haven't talked to her much since the last time I saw her, but I think that was, I really frustrated her with trying to talk to her about my philosophies and and I and I think that uh, <laughs> she was road she was road weary too. She was a little bit. That's true. She was a little bit road weary. But so we segued a bit because I had you explain who she was. Okay. Um, and I've forgotten where you were. You were explaining your interest in community and right. And then I took the time off from. I left the farm. Uh-huh. And uh, and I felt like the next thing I needed to do was to go out and learn this stuff about community. I needed to master the community angle. And I remember in 2005, just months after leaving the farm, and I'm with Diana, and she's about to, to leave the workshop. And so I'm asking her the question about what about a an intentional community where the design is a central leader? And she said... That's a fiefdom, <laughs> where you have a lord and you have your peasants. And the only person who wants to live that way is the lord. <laughs> You're, no, nobody is going to, to voluntarily be a peasant. So um, that stuck with me, so I continued to search. And now I've, come, I've, I've uh, gone out, I have visited um, lots of intentional communities. I like to do exit interviews, people who are leaving the community, and I ask them, why? Why are you leaving the community? Why did this not work out for you? Um, and uh, uh, the, the key is, is that for the fiefdom thing, I believe I've come full circle, and now, and now fiefdom is what I support. And I think fiefdom is going to be um, a word that you can choose to use if you want to uh, to describe um, uh, all kinds of entities that we have in place. A corporation typically has somebody running it. And let's not even leave that corporation. Let's say a business. You know, you've got a business that makes pies, and somebody is in charge of the pie business, and then the other people are the people there that um, are working at the pie business. Right. And you could say, well, this is not, you know, very fulfilling to the workers. They're not, you know, following their dream. I mean, they didn't have a dream of like, boy, you know what I really wanted to eat when I grow up? I want to be a flunky in a pie business. <laughs> and so uh, um, I, think, I think that there's a lot to be said for that. And at the same time, I think that there are people who are working at companies where there is one person in charge of some great big company and they are a piece of that company and they are very fulfilled. They are doing the thing that they really like and they don't like the idea of being held ultimately responsible, responsible for everything. They like limited responsibility and they just show up for 40 hours a week and that they're good. Well, there's a whole spectrum of culture embedded in anything that you might call a fiefdom. You know, it's, right. it's capitalist society, um, and 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 there's a whole spectrum of culture and nuances in that too. You know, you've got corporate culture that's a big thing to talk about these days, and and even the small business culture. You know, you you work for someone, working for someone you admire and respect is is far more enriching and rewarding than working for someone you can't stand. 
That simple. So I think somewhere, somebody, I think we were talking about this out at permies.com and the Intentional Community Forum, and somebody posted a link to the Monty Python bit from uh, um, the, the Holy Grail one. Uh, the, you know, Which way? And, and that's the one where it's got King Arthur in it, and he's going along, and, and then some peasants are out in the field, and, and the peasants are explaining to Arthur about how they don't recognize his being a king, that, that they have some sort of democracy or something. I can't remember what it was. And, uh, and so then Arthur was trying to persuade them that, no, he is the king and that they need to respect that. And then they, I, th- I think their response was something like, what, because you think some watery tart threw a knife at you that you're, you're king? And so, uh, That's right. That was a funny part. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's an important thing in this lesson, I'm sure. Include <laughs> that in there. Um, all right, so um, um, moving right along, I, uh, uh, the, the standards. Okay, you're saying, like, what's the normal right. thing for an intentional So community? we already jumped to your model that you've been working on. And, and, and a little bit. We touched, a on, bit it. touched on it. Touched but, on it. But back up half a step and talk about more of a typical, you know, Diana Leaf Christian model or a typical intentional community model The communities that are talked about in Communities Magazine, for example. So I, I do think that if people are considering intentional community, that you, you need to get Diana's books and you need, to, you need to wrap your head around them. And Diana is brilliant and awesome and amazing, and she gets asked to speak at things far more than I do. <laughs> so, so by the popular vote, Di- you know, trust Diana's word over mine. And my path is more for the odd ducks that, that think my path might be a better fit for them. It's, my path is the alternative, not the norm. Although, I, I, I think on the other hand, if you, you know, I, maybe we'll discuss this later. Yeah. I think my approach actually is probably 20 times more the norm than Diana's. But let's talk about what is Diana's. Right. And, and uh, this is going to be a consensus-based system. And a, a consensus-based system is where... Um, um, basically, everybody agrees that we stay with the status quo unless we all collectively agree to go in a new direction. And um, traditionally, the way it was done is that you'd all come together and um, somebody would present a, a, a direction that they would like to move in. And um, if nobody objected, then there you go. You're all set. Um, now, it's it's possible that one person could object, in which case you do not move forward. Now, there are consensus minus one, uh, where it's like, you know, if, if you need at least two people to object to stop things. Um, now, th- there's, there's a great thing to, to say about consensus, and that is that um, if you want to compare it to uh, democracy, where you have a simple vote, then um, every time 51% get their way, 49% get screwed, which is a a really good point. You know, if you're going to live there forever, you don't want to be getting screwed. Well, and and this is where I'd like to interject what Toby Hemingway's model was. When he taught my permaculture design course, he, he put these three bars on the whiteboard, three horizontal bars. One was for a dictatorship. One was for a, a democratic group, and one was for a consensus-based group. And if you looked at the left side of the bar, you know, it, it, what the bar represented was um, decision 
and buy-in and action. So in a dictatorship, on the very left side of the bar, the decision is immediate. You know, there's a dictator, he decides, and he makes you take action right away because <laughs> he's a dictator. And then maybe down the road there might be buy-in if after the fact these poor schmucks that are being made to do it decide, oh, yeah, he was right, you know, or if he's a benevolent dictator. Then with the democratic point, as you pointed out, you might only have, you know, a slight majority of buy-in, but the decision is still, you know, you have to vote, so the decision isn't as immediate. And then there may not be as great a buy-in, so the action might be a little bit delayed. But then you have, you still have a pretty quick to the left side of this time bar graph of showing, you know, that action happens. Now, the consensus-based model, um, you don't have a decision very near the left at all because you talk and talk and talk and gradually come to something that works for the whole group or convince the people who oppose it to go along with you. So then you don't have the decision until far towards the right-hand side, uh, right side of the timeline. <clears throat> but then the theory is you have lots of buy-in, and so then you can take sweeping, quick action and everybody supports it and it's supposed to be better even though it took longer to decide to act. That's the theory. Right. And, <laughs> and while it's actually far richer than that. Oh, of course. I mean, that's, that's, yeah, a, good, yeah. uh, you know, that's a good little um, uh, way to kind of get your head wrapped around how it works. Um, I mean, the, 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 the idea is, is that with consensus systems, you typically come up with solutions that are more robust and work for more people and things like that. Um, and uh, But it just takes a while um, some of the times. Well, you know what? Probably for 95% uh, of the decisions, they just whip right through. You know, a consensus, just, consensus is just as fast as damn near anything else because, you know, everybody agrees and everything's hunky-dory and, and no problem. The problem is, is that for those decisions that are not a slam dunk, and there there are different folks with different ideas, the decision making process can take years, and um, uh, and a lot of communities kind of get ripped apart by this kind of thing. And uh, for example, taking out trees. That's a <laughs> one. <laughs> so any intentional community forum, I got a thread there. Um, and it's, it's, it's the story of a fella who was uh, told, you are in charge of this land. And it's like, I don't know, 100 acres. And you're in charge. You, you make the call about how to best manage the land. And we, we trust you. That's an important part. We trust you. And then uh, he's like, oh, look at this. Uh, uh, I got a bunch of these Douglas fir trees that have the the root rot, the, the what was it, laminar root rot, and uh, um, and the solution is is that um, if you uh, take out like three of the four Douglas fir trees, the remaining Douglas fir tree will recover and survive. If you do nothing, all four will die. 
So um, he's like, well, i got to go out and do the needful. And, you know, we got a lot of projects going on, so we'll use the wood for a variety of things. It'll all be lovely. Oh, oh, here it is. So people, people can read the story. It's called Rick and the Doug Fur, a story about consensus. <laughs> right. Man, I'm good at writing the titles for these things. Right, there we go. So Rick and the Doug Fur. So Rick... Um, uh, uh, gets his chainsaw out and is going to go out and and make things better. And a woman comes out and says, Wait! 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 What are you doing? And uh, so he explains it to her and she says, she says, No! In this community we love trees and we would never, ever cut one down. And so um, we must activate the process of consensus. So they uh, uh, they did. They activated the process of consensus, and they for eight months the community uh, argued about it. And finally, in the end, they decided that Rick was right, and that this needed to be done. And that what they were going to do is that for each tree, they were going to have some sort of. Uh, we love trees ceremony just before it was cut down. So for the first tree, uh, you know, something like 20 or 30 people gathered around the tree, and they wrote read poems about the tree. They played songs for the tree. They sang songs for the tree. Uh, it went on and on for over an hour, um, and and uh, then they they cut down the tree. For the second tree, three people showed up, and the ceremony lasted about five minutes. For the third tree, it was just Rick. <laughs> and there were a lot of trees. <laughs> so for all the rest of the trees, Rick just did what he had to do and cut them down. Yeah. And there was no ceremony per tree. Yeah. So, so that's a really good description of... Um, some different processes in a community. So, good example. And and so, did we cover some of the different community models? Well, and an interesting point. Okay. Is that the community in in, in question here um, uh, is? Uh, it, it turns out to be that they are um, they have they have suffered from consensus long enough, and they are switching to a different model, which is um, uh, basically the model that I advocate. And and uh, although I'm sure that they're not thinking it's my model at all, they're, <laughs> they're probably thinking it's something they came up with. Well, in a way, your model um, is what the Bullock brothers are doing. Very true. Um, uh, and that's the Bullock brothers permaculture homestead on Orcas Island. They they have lots of interns every summer, and they have a community of workers, and the brothers own the property together. But the brothers, um, the brothers run such a cool place, people want to be a part of it. But it's their ultimate decision how things are done. Right. I would think for, for I mean, for a lot of these consensus-based systems, people will show up with the idea, with stars in their eyes, about how awesome community is going to be, and then they leave within a few months, you know, and they are frustrated and angry. And, and granted, the benefits were there, but the, there was pain there too. And, and um, uh, so 
basically you're you're asked to step into a decision making process, fully understand what's going on, and then help make decisions. And and the passions fly. Right. And so. Um, uh, people uh, take that opportunity to, to be less than noble. But with the Bullock Brothers system, yes, it works. People come and, uh, in fact, it seems like the normal story is that an intern shows up at the Bullock Brothers and then uh, enjoys it so much that they stay for two years. They sign up for three months, they stay for two years. That seems to be the normal story. Um, and uh, they they just love being there, and and in a way, for a lot of stuff, there is consensus. I mean, in fact, I would say that for any fiefdom-ish system, for any dictatorship system, that embedded within it, there's gobs of consensus. That a lot of times people will be doing something, and they'll say, "Oh, which way do you suppose we should do it?" And then they talk about it, and then they reach consensus and say, let's do it this way. I'm sure that the dictator would be okay with it. And you know what? If it turns out we're wrong, we can undo it later. Right. Well, and you've described that, too, with your Code Ranch site, where about 40 volunteers help you run a site that 100,000 people visit each day. And they quite often do a lot of the management where they... They just know kind of how things should go and work within each other to do some development on the site and add new features. Right. So they're all volunteers. They can leave any time that they want. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> a lot of them have time, have, have fun doing whatever it is that they do with the site, whether it's deleting spam or answering a question or, you know, whatever. And, and for the most part, I, I'm, the, I'm the, uh, the, the, the evil tyrant overlord of, of the whole site, and for the most part, I stay out of the way. My job is to just stay out of the way. And um, uh, years and years ago, there were some issues where some of the staff would squabble with each other about how things were to be, and so uh, um, I've since then taken a much stronger role of, like, whenever there's disagreement, I will settle it. And um, so what we have now is something where it's like 90% of the stuff that goes on, maybe even 98% of the stuff that goes on, is entirely consensus-based. And a lot of that consensus comes from somebody stands up to do something, and it's like, you know what? No one's going to care, so I'm just going to go ahead and take care of this and tidy it up. And if it turns out anybody does care, then I'm willing to, to undo it. You know, and so um, that's part of the, the, the package deal. Um, if you think somebody's going to care, then you bring it up, and uh, specifically with the people that you think might care. So, so I think we've backed up and given a lot of good examples of different types of communities and kind of some different assumptions about communities. I think a lot of people uh, go in who are looking for more resilient or sustainable lifestyles go into community for those reasons. And I think that's part of what you are looking for in a permaculture-based system is, um, you know, a a lot of people look at permaculture-based systems as being more human-powered and less oil-powered, you know, less, you know, know, in a food forest 
it, it, it's people that har- harvest. It's not machines and that kind of thing. So, so people are looking at communities where you know you share the big tools, you share a big kitchen and all the kitchen toys. You have community meals, which are just so much more energy efficient and cost effective. And there's all these really compelling financial reasons, resiliency reasons, sustainability reasons to have community. And I think that's a piece of what you were looking at, that you needed more adults uh, to run your permaculture systems and help create permaculture systems. So I'm backing up a little bit (laughs) just to run through that stuff and make sure um, that's a bit covered. Don't lose your place. Okay. But I, I also think we need to come back and talk more about Diana's designs on consensus. And so let's come back to that, too. But, but, but and, and that's kind I'll of wanna... where I'm going a little bit, okay. too. Because she talked about the reasons for forming a community. With Be- that one example we wanted to bring up. Before I forget, I want to I wanna throw in, so, so I want to throw something into the mix. Okay. And I'm afraid this whole podcast is going to be this kind of crazy Unorganized way, but but okay. when I did my permaculture design course um, in uh, it was like January February of 2005, so this was like four months before I left the farm. I, I went and did the official permaculture training, the, the oh. permaculture design course, and there were like 25. I was one student out of 25 that was there, and um, <clears throat> one of the things that it, that came out of it because I felt like you know, I've read all the books. I've been practicing it for years. I'm only here to get the official certification so I can put the word permaculture on the stuff that I do because uh-huh. I want to use that word uh-huh. in my stuff. Uh-huh. So I'm just here to phone it in and, and, and get this done. But I ended up walking away from the course with a lot more. One of the, one of the things that I walked away from was is that um, we're all living in the same place for for 14 consecutive days, and uh, we share three meals a day every day, and um, and anyway, there was there was a lot of things that were done very collectively, and um, basically, my feeling was, I want to live this way the rest of my life. How do I arrange things so I can live this way the rest of my life? I liked the exchange at the table every day. Um, I, uh, I liked the people. I liked the way that we were living. Um, uh, there were so many things that I really, really liked, and I wanted it to never end. And, of course, it ended. <laughs> That's well, it. That's it, folks. Go home. Bye-bye now. <laughs> <laughs> and so that was unexpected for you. And, 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 and I think, I do think that's a very common thing that people want out of community, too. And what someone said, they listen, the reason they listen to the podcast, too, is they find someone who's a bit like-minded. And it's so exciting to hear that. Right. In one of the podcasts, we, I said, I expressed, I have no idea why somebody wants to hear me talk <laughs> about any of this stuff. It, it seems, I mean, I've, I've been doing it so long, it seems like everybody talks about this stuff all the time. And it seems like it's all obvious to me. It all is really, you know, 
And um, uh, but then this one woman wrote, and I shared it with you, and I actually posted it out to Permies today. Hmm. And she said something like, um, you know, in my area, there's nobody like this. And and so, you know, um, I. So it sounds like she just plays the pod. She must play the podcast over and over again, just to have somebody. That, that, and she said she feels like she's part of the conversation, even though she's not. And then it's it's something where um, uh, it's good to just hear folks talking about the kind of things that she wants to do. Um, and maybe she didn't agree with all of it, but it's like um, it's it's important. And I could kind of see that because it's like on the farm on Mount Spokane that was my farm. The neighborhood generally wasn't on board with a lot of this stuff. It just seemed like crazy stuff. I mean, I'm not just blazing a trail. I'm like doing something utterly, to them, it seemed utterly crazy. And it would have been really great to have had more like-minded folk around. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, and then when I go online to the only forums that were available at that time, it's, um, I would try to talk about how I'm going to plant clover or, you know, some legume to add nitrogen to the soil. And then the general response from the other farmers was, why the hell would you do that when anhydrous is so cheap? Are you stupid? And so a lot of the, re- a lot of the feedback is like, oh, I'm trying to not use chemicals. And why? What's your problem with chemicals? You're, dude, you're made of chemicals. You, got, you don't like yourself? Is that what you're saying? Are you stupid? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, it's it's kind of like um, to go the place that I wanted to go. I I oftentimes felt kind of aloneish. So anyway, I kind of understand. All right. Um, what was I talking about before that? <laughs> you were talking about how going to your PDC and living for fourteen right. days with those folks made you want to live like that all the time, and that was. Um, you know, and, and that was part of your driving force between Learning Back Community. And so you started a community house in Seattle, and then you did some other community experiments at another place you lived, um, which right. we had on the list to talk about. And we'll but get I, to that later. Yeah. yeah. So, and I don't know, maybe we're making this podcast well, too long, so maybe we No, no, I, I think I'm, I'm planning on this podcast being a long podcast. Okay. And and so um, but in 2005, after I left the farm, and so my decision was, my thinking was, I need to find a way to not only get the things that I wanted that I learned from the PDC, where I want to live this way the rest of my life, right. but on top of that, I'm thinking, I need to be able to have, um, you know, a bunch of people living under one roof all year long, um, you know, without killing each other. Stab, stab, stab. Uh, don't want that. That's bad. Stab, stab is bad. That's like a bumper sticker there, isn't it? Stab, stab is bad. Um, and then, uh, uh, and so then my, my quest as I left the farm was, is I need to figure this out. I need to find a way to get this to work. And I had Diana's book, and I'd read it. And, um, and I was like cruising all over the Internet, reading all kinds of stuff about intentional community, and so much of it just wasn't making a lick of sense. So um, I went and I visited a whole bunch of intentional communities. And, and did the exit interviews. And um, uh, and after visiting gobs and gobs and gobs of them all over the Pacific Northwest, then I went and took Diana's class. 
and I um, related to her a lot of my experiences, and um, and of course, you know, uh, there's the benefit of a class. Later that year, like in the fall, uh, I took another class from a gal. I think her name was Rowena, and she was from New Zealand, and it was a it was a two day class on intentional community and and um, a, a different aspect, a different a different approach, uh, a lot of similarities. Um, and and I'm and again I'm still kind of in this very confused space of this doesn't seem like it can work because the system seems so fragile because it's depending on the discipline of all the participants to be noble. Right. And the one thing we're skipping over and not going to discuss, and and I'll just do a quick aside on why and what that is that we're skipping over and not going to discuss. A lot of communities um, take on different communication models. There's the nonviolent communication model. There's the, what was the other one, heart to heart? Heart of now heart of is now what they have done Lost Valley. Model. So there are these different communication models that people take on with the with the noble goal of getting everyone to treat people more nobly and treat each other more nobly and show more respect and really listen and learn and bond and and create relationships that are stronger and in your exit interviews it, it seemed to indicate that these oh, communication right. models ended up being a tool and, and a weapon a little bit. What? So we're we're gonna slide right past those and right. have those be a part of uh, intentional community design or a Wheaton intentional community design. What was the name of the one that Morgan and Megan were into? Like I can't remember. Like Morgan gave up his life in yeah. the Seattle area to yeah. get on the bandwagon of this this awesome communication style. It was like this, like it's intentional communication or something like right. that. Right, and I forget. And I'm then sorry. in the end, we saw him a year later back, just utterly destroyed, and and it was because this communication, he felt his final analysis was this communication technique in the end was often used more as a weapon than as a tool to make things smoother. The, the people who really master these communication tools use them to manipulate those who have not mastered them. Right. So, so take all the yeah. communication tools that you've learned through your life, yeah. and now I'm going to invalidate those by invoking the power of this communication tool, which, yes. which in this community we've all agreed is that communication tool. And by the way, I'm the master of this tool, so I'll tell you that everything you're doing is wrong, and for anything that we want to discuss, I am right. And so, sucks to be you. And that's an unfortunate judgment, really, on these models that really have the best of intentions, and, and the people who enjoy them and have gotten a lot of meaning out of them, you know, are doing it for the best of reasons, but we're sliding past that in our discussion. Of so <clears throat> let's, I'm going to talk a little bit about what I advocate, and, and that is, like, I like the idea of there can be um, 100,000 communities, and um, each community has one guy running it 
one guy, or I should say guy or gal, one person running it. Mm-hmm. And I should probably get out of the habit of using the word guy to mean people, okay. the, the genderless yeah. people. Before you go there, do you want to go there or do you want to talk about Diana Lee's Christian story about forming community around two different choices? Oh, I love to, that story. Let me just, okay, I'm going to do this just real quick, sure. and, then, and then we'll do that. Okay. And so, so basically the idea is, is that 100,000 communities, there's one person in charge, and then basically you can say to yourself, you know what, I can go and have my own house, my own farm, my own whatever, and of course all, you know, take on all the expense that's associated with it, and I can do it by myself, you know, which is what most people do. That's, that's the norm of today. Or I can I can choose to um, be part of one of the hundred thousand different packages out there, and boy, they sure come in a lot of different flavors. And some of them are consensus based, and some of them are not. Some of them you know have one person who's in charge. In fact, for this hundred thousand, let's say one person in charge, it's a farm, and I can go and I can live on the farm, and I can just simply pay rent, or I can. Um, uh, participate or uh, you know help out or what you know whatever there's 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 basically all these different flavors but it is a central leader thing it is one person who's in charge and I have to um, find somebody who I like their value set you know and I'm okay with with doing this and um, uh, or I can be by myself then the thing is is that um, I could be the person in charge of one of those. And then somebody could evaluate me, and it's like, do I want to be part of your package? And um, and then uh, in my case, I've exposed my philosophies on a 100 different topics. I've written essays. I've written, I've put out videos and podcasts and whatnot. And then somebody can say, you know, I like this guy. So I would imagine that there's, you know, very few people that feel like they could be around me long enough to want to live with me year-round. But, you know, they could sign up for me or it's like, you know what, that sucks. I'm going to try and find something kind of like that but different in these ways. And there could be ways to, to do that. I mean, welcome to the Internet age. We could we could put all that up. But, um, you know what, if you don't like the way that things are there, well, then don't go there, you know. Um, and, of course, you've got to keep in mind that, that things will indeed change, as they will at any community. And hopefully they will. I mean, otherwise, it's a, it's a very stagnant community. Um, and, and, in fact, that's the problem that most intentional communities face, is that they don't grow. They don't change. They stay the same always because they cannot reach consensus on how to move forward and how to change. Okay, now, the story. Yeah, Diana, well, the last time we saw Diana was here at your place. Uh-huh. And um, she came to a she told us a story in Seattle. Yeah, and so I was her chauffeur for like a day and a half, driving her around to Seattleish stuff, and you know, helping her to get her stuff done and things like that. So, but while she was here, she told us a story, and I thought this story was awesome. So apparently, um, uh, there's this uh, a farm community getting started. So it's a, it's an intentional community on a farm, and they said we want people to come from far and wide who want to you know be part of this community, live on this farm, and make this farm work. And so they had 40 people show up, and they were thinking, wow, we didn't think this many people would show up. And really, they can the maximum that they could they could deal with was maybe twenty. 
So, um, so what they did was is, is that, you know, they did a bunch of stuff throughout the day to try and, you know, talk about what all was going on and things like that. And then they got the idea. Somebody, whoever's in charge, whoever sent it up, got this idea. All right. Everybody who's here is into community, and they're also into organic farming, natural farming stuff, maybe permaculture. Maybe the word permaculture was used. So anyway, um, but everybody is going to feel more about community or more about farming. And so what I want to do is I want to ask everybody who, who loves the idea of community more than they love the idea of farming to go to that side of the room. And people who love the idea of farming more than they love the idea of community to go to the other side of the room. And so, as it turns out, the room divided exactly in half, 20 and 20. And then they, okay, everybody who's on the side of the room where they favor community more, thank you for coming by. You can go home now. And, um, and so, apparently, the reason why they decided to do this is they felt that people who are more, and this is my recollection based on what Diana said, which is based upon what somebody else said. Right. So, so maybe it could be screwed up along the way. Right. But the idea was is that people who um, want to be in community might not be the best people to be in community. Well, I, I think the implication was, and, and I, I was right there with you hearing that story, but I think the, in my memory is that the implication was people who want community often want community because they have relationship issues they want to work out. <laughs> and they want to test them out. And then community is just, you know, they just really want relationship and they've been struggling having relationships. And they're lonely and they want community and they want to work on their relationships. And community is so much cheaper than therapy. <laughs> or, you know, if, if you're accepted into the community, the people have to have relationships with you. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> you have no choice. You have to be yeah. my friend. I live here. You have to relate with me. So I'm going to sit next to you at every meal. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> so um, uh, that was part of the implication, and, and it wasn't explained probably as harshly as we've explained it. But I think I think the really the upside of the explanation was when people come together more project based they tend to have more in common and they tend to form relationships easier. You know, if they're coming together around a common goal and a common project, it just makes community happen naturally. Um, whereas if you're just forming for community, you may not um, have as much in common. Um, absolutely true. And Diana... Uh, makes a great point of that in her workshop and in her book, and that is that um, uh, the communities that seem to come together, uh, in fact, they're, they're also, well, the ones that come together for religion hmm. tend to be the ones that last the longest. Hmm. And, and oftentimes, those also have a central leader. Mm -hmm. So um, 
I, I think I think that that's interesting. Now, a lot of times they'll come together over a common thing. The one that I did over in Green Lake, that one was brought together uh, loosely based on horticulture. At one point in time, I think everybody in the house had been through a permaculture design course. So all permaculture folk. Cool. Um, and and there's a good story from that house too, which I have on the list as the vegan cranky story versus right. Morgan. Let me let me finish about one of the things okay. that Diana said, okay. and and that was something because based on you know how your interpretation of Diana's story, and that is that uh, Diana once said something about like uh, intentional community is like the uh, the the longest most painful growth experience you'll ever have in your life or something like that. But I right. think I think that that's only going to be true. Well, no, probably true for anything, but, but dominantly true for consensus-based systems. Because since a consensus-based system isn't going to move forward unless all relationships are working, then the, the whole community works very hard. If, if two people aren't getting along, the whole community comes together to get things to work out between those two people because it's, it's not until they're getting along that the rest of the community can move forward with stuff. And so having everybody always getting along is very important. And so, you know, if you're a person who has some things to work out, then, then yeah, this will be, uh, I guess, your cheaper therapist replacement option. Um, and, and instead of seeing your therapist once a week, you'll be seeing your therapist all day long every day, which kind of is frustrating to everybody else. <laughs> um, but, hey, maybe it works great for you. Uh, uh, one of the, so what was, the, what was the thing that you were just bringing up that was going to be our new... Well, our in, the, in the Greenwood house... Green Lake. Green Lake, thank you. In the Green Lake house... Um, you had shared food. <laughs> okay, I know what story you're getting at. I remember yeah. now. Yeah. <sighs> All right. So we had um, this. This uh, our, our meal system was that um, all the food, every all the food was shared. Yeah. And um, um, basically, uh, anybody who went out and bought food, um, uh, just kept the receipt, and then they stuck it in the receipt jar. And then periodically, uh, somebody would go through the receipt jar and figure out who owes and who who gets paid, you know, right. and, and get everything to even out. Yeah, and it, I still don't know how you fed everybody with meat on $108 per person per month. $108 per person per month, and there was no right. limit to the food. There was nobody ever being hungry. Crazy. And um, uh, organic, all organic so, but let's, let's uh, you know, one story at a time. Okay. Well, that's and, part of the shared food story. It and is. It, it is. It is. And, and, of course, all stories are all tied together. And, I mean, basically, this, this whole podcast is going to be nothing but a bunch of random bits and bobs. There's no way we can, right. I mean, it would, it would take hundreds of hours to relate all of right. the and put it in a more cohesive order or something. I think we're doing great. Yeah, I think yeah. we're doing fine just dancing around on all these different little bits and bobs. Yeah. All right, so on this particular thing, then um, I, uh, I, we, we had some pain at, at, at one point. And so for probably about five months, everything was pretty silky smooth mm-hmm. when it came to the food, mm-hmm. you know, which is, I think is a miracle because most communities, that's where they fall apart, is at the, is at the food point, the kitchen. 
And um, when it came to this food thing, I was really smooth. The, the worst problem that we ever had was up to this point was that um, uh, we had a fella who drank like a carton of soy milk every day. And um, apparently, uh, and everybody else in the house either drank water or, I mean, the only other milk-ish thing, we didn't actually have dairy milk in the house. Nobody wanted it. And the only other thing we had was almond milk. And so uh, at a house meeting, which most of our house meetings kind of went like this. Okay, we're all together. We're doing the house meeting. Anybody have anything that we need to bring up? No? Well, we could play some cards. <laughs> that was usually kind of how it went. Yeah. So um, it's one time, it's like, okay, here's the thing. we got one guy, because we share all the food collectively. Divide the food bill, even Stephen. And uh, somebody says, well, uh, one guy drinks a lot of soy milk. And maybe we ought to set the system up so that we divide everything even, Stephen, except that this guy, since he's the only one that consumes soy milk, that, that he, the soy milk is separate. He has to pay for his own soy milk, and it's not part of the rest of our stuff. And then the conclusion was is that, well, you know, um, if he drinks almond milk, he can drink all the almond milk he wants, and it's part of the collective food thing. So since there's 10 of us, then basically he gets almond milk at 90% off because he's paying into the food thing too. Or he can pay for soy milk, that's 100%. I mean, basically that's what's being proposed. But then wouldn't he just drink almond milk then? And he's kind of like, yeah, I would just drink almond milk. I was drinking the soy milk because it was cheaper. So basically, by drinking the soy milk, he's saving all of us money. And so then it was over. It was like, well, we figured that out. We're done. That was easy. We'll just... Keep, he buys all the soy milk he wants. He's actually saving us money. and so By buying a cheaper milk that yeah. he was drinking a lot of. So it stayed within the whole household budget. Yeah. yeah. So then everything just stayed simple. Yeah. Um, all right. So now to the story that you want me to tell. Yeah. And, and that is that um, we had somebody, somebody moved out, and, and, boy, I could not understand their reasoning, but... Off they went. So we had, a, we had a room become available, and then this woman moved in, and she seemed just lovely and a good fit and everything. And we explained to her everything, and she's like, yeah, yeah, I'm okay with all of that. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, trying to, I'm going to try and leave a part out. And then um, I, called, I called Diana, and I said, oh, Diana, we've got a problem in the house. It was over food. She was insisting. Well, yes. I know that. Hey, why are you leaving that part out? I'm going to come back to it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I have my reasons. Okay. Okay. Trust me. Okay. Trust me. Okay. okay. All right. All right. <clears throat> Diana, we are having problems. There was suddenly we we you know we got a new person in the house, and now we're feeling pain, and um. And so Diana's response was, let me guess, the new person is a vegan. Well, yeah. How, how, did, how did you know that? So um, uh, she explained to me how uh, there's apparently um, this, this, uh, some kind of sheath that's over your nervous system. Myelin, mylar, I forget what it's called. And and uh, um, if you don't eat the right kind of fat, which is a fat that's typically found in animals, 
then um, this apparently you become irritable. Right. It's like your body attacks that sheath and it starts getting eaten away. Right. And and now um, and 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 so she so so Diane shared with me that a lot of communities have problems and it's typically around the militant vegans. And and so she made a guess, and she happened to be right. There is a vegan source of that amino fatty acid or omega fatty acid, whichever it is. Um, coconut fat. Yes. So if you get the coconut oil, um, apparently that has the right kind of. So then that's why a lot of vegans will have that. Yeah. And yeah. then and then that makes everybody happy, and everything is great, and stuff like that. Now, um, as a guy that's been passionate about community for a long time, I served on a board that was about community. And the, the chairman of the board was a vegan. And as we would go to different functions and we would visit, I would share this story. And he, so that made it so that he heard this story like four times. And I could see him kind of cringe as he would hear the story. And and uh, he, I, I get the impression he didn't care for the story. <laughs> and so then we met with him and he said, yes, we, we, it was like a year had passed or something like that, and I hadn't seen him for a year. And, and then I remember you and I were there, and he said uh, We had something, dinner with him. We had dinner with him, and he, and, he, and he was expressing about how he had visited these places. But, of course, they were with these meat eaters who were all so aggressive. Yeah, he felt he eating had, meat made people more aggressive than... Yeah, so he had he had his opposing view. His, yeah. So, um, but, but anyway, the... The issue was that the vegan had moved in, and she seemed perfectly lovely and perfectly nice. And um, she, on her second day in the house, then she told me that the food bill would now be divided a different way. And that um, she, as a vegan, would not part with any money that would go to animal products. So now all the food bill has to be you know, computed this this new way of of all the meat, all the animal products go on one side, all of the uh, vegan products go on the other side, and the vegans and everybody will divide the vegan stuff, and only the meat eaters would divide, or only the animal product consumers would divide the rest. Um, and so I said, well, um, I could see how that could potentially work. Um, and in order to make that change, then we're going to have to have a house meeting and do the consensus thing. Now, normally we don't have a house meeting scheduled for another three weeks, but I think that this is, you know, warrants we could try and do something faster. And so, you know, if uh, you know if you want to pull everybody together and do this, I think that would be reasonable. And she said, clearly you didn't hear me. There doesn't need to be any meeting. There won't be any meeting. I'm telling you how it's going to be. And I said, well, here we're doing consensus. And so, you know, we need to get everybody else to be cool with that. Mm-hmm. They're cool with that. Well, we don't know until we have the meeting. We need to, you know, this is, this is we're consensus. We, we, we can't make a change like this unless everybody, okay. And, and so she continued to be emphatic and angry and this whole thing. Belligerent. Like, yeah, and that this is the, you know, she's basically telling me that this is consensus and and everybody's going to agree. I mean, it's like the idea that anybody could disagree is, 
is bizarre. Not in her understanding. Yeah, and so it's 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 like you know, and, but but to me it was like I was my first thought was is like you know what I've got to sit down and think about the math a little bit and see if it does work out to being fair because, and in the end my my math came back and my math said, uh, you know, I think that uh, um, uh, yeah. Uh, it's like I would I would end up paying for ten percent of the vegan portion, and she would end up paying for ten percent of the vegan portion. But because she isn't eating any meat, she's actually eating more than ten percent of the food of the vegan portion. And since I am eating meat or animal products, I'm eating less than ten percent of the vegan portion. So it's therefore unfair. So now, um, you know. On top of that, there's some vegan stuff that's a lot more expensive than meat. And and so um, I was, you know, it, it might even out, but still, it's like, you know, we should take this into account. So I, I felt it was good to come up with a system so that it would probably be a little more equitable. Mm-hmm. You know, probably wouldn't be perfect, but it could be. Well, all right. So then now we're getting into a lot of stupid details now for something that happened many, many years ago. But the, but the point is, is that um, uh, uh, A, here was somebody invoking the power of consensus, basically saying that everybody will agree to this because if they don't, I will be mad at them. I will, I will be angry at them so much that they will change their mind. So, I don't know, uh, anger-driven community? Uh, um, uh, and I think a lot of consensus systems do go down that path. Somebody's going to stand up and be crazy and hysterical and who knows what, and a lot of people are like, you know what? I am just going to let this one go because I just don't. I just want peace. Well, I don't want to get into it. I think Diana said in her community that was happening. Didn't she describe that to some extent? Not the, well, quite the same I way. Mean, things, there was somebody who kept, you know, just causing lots of problems in her community, and they were letting that person get away with it. Well, she had a couple of different issues. I mean, I mean, I mean, granted, you bring together 50, 60 people, and you're going to have 50 or 60 different buckets of psychology. Oh, and it's sure. like if you're mis- if you care about things coming out good, then you need to be involved. And once you're involved, then and somebody and, and basically this was happening. She had, I believe, one or two different people in her community that were coming forth and saying and bringing the crazy, yeah, and like hysterical anger and fire and brimstone and and all of this awfulness. And most of the people in the community were kind of like, you know what? If we just say okay, then 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 the icky will stop. Yeah. I, I want to have. I'm here because I want to be part of. Peace. I want to right. be part of like a lovely thing, right. and this is not it. And I want it to go away. And the fastest path to getting it to go away is go along with whatever they're saying. Right. And so Diana was telling me that after years of this, because um, Diana would try and stand up and say, you know what, that's not how consensus really works. You need to make your decisions based upon what is good and right and decent, 
not as a reaction to somebody being awful. Right. Somebody do not reward inappropriate behavior. Right. And and then what happened was is that they did reward the inappropriate behavior, which made it clear that this community is driven by crazy. Crazy wins. So if you want to get your way, what you do is you need to bring with you a big bunch of hysterical crazy, and then you get to have what you want. But if you come with logic and reason and a cool head and an, and a, and a, an even heart, I just made that up. I don't know what that means, but you know, <laughs> right. come, coming into it with the idea of I want to be good to my community and do the right thing. Right. What what the people in the community learned was is that's the recipe that always loses. The recipe that always wins is hysterical and crazy. And so what they ended up with, so then after a while, the community learned, okay, we can't play that game anymore. Well, and I, I think that's one of the reasons uh, you prefer the model where there is someone who makes a decision. And, and that's something um, that you've kept the model that way at your online forums and you would like to have a community model that way that if things get out of hand, someone can step in and say, Well, and that's another thing, too, is I think that if you are a person where it's like hysterical and crazy does not work here, and you are an individual, and and it's like I am not convinced by crazy and, and hysterical. In fact, crazy and hysterical is not really a fit for this community. It turns out you need to be leaving. Um, and so... Uh, in which case, the other people that are there learn crazy and hysterical is not a fit for this community. I should not use that unless my intent is to be leaving. And so then they, they, what happens is, is that decisions are made. I mean, if you go to the Bullock Brothers, there's no crazy and hysterical there. I mean, it's all soft-spoken and really cool and reasonable. So we, we've done a lot of different examples of community, community structures, community models, community situations, good, bad, and the ugly. Um, there's one other ugly thing that can happen in community that you've told me about, and it's called the Founders Syndrome. Right. So this, this only happens with consensus-based communities. And so what will happen is, is that you'll have somebody and um, uh, who has a very strong personality and will do the big... Because to get a community started is a big gob of work, and it's a big gob of risk, and um, and you, you've got to do a lot of things to get things to line up and get it to happen. It's, it's hard. It's really hard. And so what will happen is, is that you'll have an individual... <clears throat> who will go through all of that and have, have the wherewithal to be able to accomplish that and to get something going. I mean, for everyone who gets something going, I'm sure that there's 100 who tried and failed, and nothing ever came of it. So you've got somebody who tried and succeeded, and now you've got a group of 20 people living on the same land. Yeah, a community. And, 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 yeah, yeah. 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 And, and, and then they're, they're like lovely people, lovely, fantastic, awesome people. And so what happens is is that you've got your, your one person and your, your 20 others, 
and um, the 20 others get together and you say, you know that one person over there? What a type A. What, what a, man, always going on about rules and regulations and what you got to do and, you know, boy, it's like, uh, it's, it's, it's such a hassle hearing from that person. I mean, I'm here to talk, to sing my songs, pick my flowers, and, and uh, you know, uh, try to find my higher being through meditation or whatever. And um, uh, I love permaculture. I love these things. I love those things. I love these people. I love, 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 love. But that person, not so much. And, and frankly, that person's harsh in my smooth. You know, I I just I just want to sit in my tree and bless the sun all day long. And then that person comes along and talks about weeds and talks about hugel culture beds. And who takes the garbage and, out. And who takes the garbage out and the dirty yeah. dishes and <clears throat> always bringing me down. And then the other people are like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, you are so right. Well, it turns out that in the bylaws, we've predicted that someday there could be somebody coming along, harsh and our smooth, and not a fit for our community. And we've picked somebody who's not a fit for our community, and it's that person. The founder. The founder. Yeah. And, and they need to go because they're harsh and our smooth. Now, typically what happens is that they eject the founder, and it turns out that the founder was doing a whole bunch of stuff that was holding the community together, and the rest of them leave, you know, because things fall apart. But sometimes it doesn't happen that way. But I've talked to a bunch of people that were founders and suffered from founder syndrome. Yeah. And it's a, and it's a very, I mean, hell, it's a common enough thing that we have a phrase for it, founder syndrome. Yeah. And so... When I was doing my research, a big part of my thought was, is it's like, a lot of people don't like me. I mean, I tend to find, I mean, I build a lot of things. And a lot of people love the things that I build. And then they don't love me. And it's like, I, I totally understand that. Because they're all about things that I'm not all about. But they love the things that I make, they just don't care for me. And I think that's perfectly reasonable, perfectly understandable. But I had this concern, like, I, if I go out and I create a community, and then it's set up so that they could eject one person, then the person that they would probably eject would be me. <laughs> and so, I, you know, how can I be part of a community but, but not be ejected? How can I be sure, you know, and at the same time, I want to be part of a community that can eject people. Because, frankly, you know, sometimes, I mean, people change. You can get somebody in and they seem awesome and then you just really need them to not be there anymore and it's like the only other reasonable option is that you yourself leave. Right, right. And so, so I think we described that well enough unless there's another piece of that you wanted to explain. I, all right, I, so founder syndrome, now you know. Yeah, I think that's a fabulous segue over into um, a different aspect of community that we have on the list that I think has to do with your model of um, some of the things you've described to me and an experiment you did. 
So when you were describing the founder syndrome, you know, we were saying, oh, man, he wants us to take out the garbage and build Google beds and actually do things. And, and um, I think a lot of the intentional community models, they just think, well, we'll all share equally in the chores and all the chores will get done. And, and that's one area where you really disagreed with that model. And, and one example were the 540 dinners you did. 500, okay, so first of all, the, you know, I, I think a community is made of, a good, healthy community is made of a diversity of people. Yes. And so um, some people are going to be really, really good at welding, Mm-hmm. And if there's a lot of welding stuff, they take care of it all. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, there's going to be some people, typically, that are pretty young, and um, they don't have a big skill yet. And so then they kind of fill in the gaps, and that's going to be taking out the garbage and, you know, um, feeding the chickens and, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the jobs that are, you know, not the, the big jobs that, that uh, are more interesting, typically. Mm-hmm. Right. And and so I, I um uh, you're gonna have some people that are that are keen on cooking and some people that really suck at it. And um and I would be one that really sucks. Uh, hopefully I'll bring other assets to a community um, um, besides cooking. But it's kind of like yeah the idea of saying okay everybody has to cook you know two meals per week. Um, then then now you're doing it out of an obligation. And it might be something that you really don't like doing, in which case, I mean, do you really want to be eating that food? Um, whereas other people can do awesome things with food, and they would be tickled pink to be cooking 20 meals a week. You know, I am so there. I love to cook. And, you know, so anyway. Um, I think I think that, that uh, that's something to take into consideration. You need to, a, a, a community needs to be designed to be able to work with the strengths of the people that are there, as opposed to um, you know requiring people. Now, of course, some people are going to come and they've got nothing, and I think that's where there's a challenge. Everybody wants to do the interesting stuff, and nobody wants to do the grunty stuff. And at the same time, you know, if the community is cool enough, there's going to be like like the Bullock Brothers. They have a huge list of people wanting to get in there to do the grunty stuff. They just want to be there, even if they're doing the, the gruntiest of grunty jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so <clears throat> 540 meals. So I've got a thread on Permies that describes this in detail. But um, uh, when talking to all these different community people who are powerful advocates of everybody in our system will be noble, that um, part of the conversation that I've attempted to have is to say um, that uh, if I were to provide uh, 10 people with a meal in my community, then, then uh, how many meals would I get back? And their response was universally that um, I'll get 10 meals back because everybody is noble. And... Um, uh, and you won't have to make rules. You won't have to police it. Um, and there won't be, you know, anger about it. Now, this granted, this is a bunch of people sitting around in a room talking about, pontificating about the future. Sure. The community that they will be a part of in the future. Right. And the people they'd be hanging out with would right. be that cool. These are the yeah. people that will be in the community. Yeah. So, um, so I conducted an experiment. And for about three months, 
I provided uh, nine meals per week. And when I say I, I actually paid somebody to cook these meals. I bought, I went to the store, bought all the ingredients, all organic. Um, And I ended up going and doing a lot of food shopping to feed all these people. So I put a lot of money into this, not only for the food, but for the the cook's time. And um, this particular experiment happened in a a farming community that was um, part of a wilderness college. And um, and so I uh, so so most of the people that were living there were of the Wilderness College, not all of them, but most of them. And so I said, you know, okay, I'll provide these meals, and what I expect in exchange. Uh, and if you don't, if you if if you're not comfortable with the expectation, you don't need to be part of the meals. That's fine. I mean, this is an open thing. If you're joining me for my meals, here's what I expect. But hey, you don't have to join us for the meals, you know. So um, I expected that not only would each person wash their own dishes, they would help with the post-meal cleanup, and um, once a week they would bring in a wild food. And so um, there were 10 people living in this community, and so I imagine the average meal was probably about five. So, you know, sometimes we had eight. Sometimes there were only four. But, you know, average probably about five. And so when I ran up all the numbers, I came up with 540 meals. So I've, I've, I've provided food for 540 people that were outside of myself mm-hmm. um, or any company I may have had. So... Um, Based on the arguments that were presented to me before, then you would think that I would therefore receive 540 meals. Now, if you count um, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, seven days a week, that's 21 meals per week. I was providing nine uh, um, for for five people. So I was basically providing 45 meals um, per per week. So 45 plates of food per week. Right. And there were, um, uh, so 21 minus 9, um, and so we're looking at there was 12 plates per week. There were opportunities for 12 plates per week for me to receive. Um, and so, you know, a bit of a disbalance. There's really no way during this three-month period that that people could um, feed me as much as I was feeding them. Um I put out 540 plates. I received two. Two meals, yeah. Two plates, two meals. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, um, so uh, um, I, I, I kind of feel like I've, I've proved my point. I mean, at no point did I say, oh, by the way, everybody, I'm keeping track here to see if you're a bunch of assholes. Cause I don't, and I don't think that they're assholes either. I think that they're human. I... I um, I think one thing to explain is that the majority of these were college students, uh, maybe still even 18 or 19. So there was only one 19-year-old. Okay. So we had some in their mid-20s, some okay. in their late 20s, and then there, was, um, there were some people that were past 30. Okay, okay. Well, um, for the younger set, I think they just don't have the understanding that, you know, reciprocal would be a good thing to do. And and that's not 
an excuse on their part, but I do think that's common, that that's a, a lack of integrity in a lot of younger people. It, or integrity is not quite the right word. They just don't get it until they're older. See, now, the funny thing is, is that this age group is the exact same age group that talks about creating community. <laughs> it's true. It's true. And they're the same people that are talking about how everybody's going to be noble. And on top of that, at this table where these people were sitting, they would frequently talk about this kind of thing and how they would be noble Mm-hmm. and how if anybody ever gave them something, they would be sure to repay it in kind. They would talk about all kinds of permaculture and community stuff, and uh, they would talk about different religious philosophies and decency, and I bit my tongue the whole time. I was very careful to not try and say, dude, you've been here for six weeks eating my food and you have not once offered me one meal. So now, I I think it's important. Let's not discount what happened. Let's not... I mean, you you could justify away all of this stuff and say, oh, they're just a bunch of dumb fucks. Or or, these are a bunch of idiots. Or this is a fluke. Mm -hmm. No, I think that this is very representative of the norm. And that this would happen with adults, you know, that are that are forty, fifty, as well as. I mean, there were some people. There was there was at least one person there that was older than me, and um, uh, and there were. I mean, there were several people that were my age, and then there were there were. I mean, like uh, uh, I would say the the average age was probably about twenty five. So I mean, at what point do we expect people to you know? And, and, and then the other thing is, is that when having the conversations with people before I did the experiment, they didn't say mature people. They, you know, it was always people and us. When we get together, it's going to be awesome this way. And, and you know, okay, don't, at no point in time was there an obligation. I never said, you have to give me as much food as I give you. Right. I never did that. Right. And that was, that was the idea, to not right. say that, right. 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 to right. measure their nobility, to measure, you know, as opposed to being human, nobility. Now, there was an expectation. There were two expectations, three expectations. One, do your own dishes. Two, help with the cleanup after the meal. Three, once a week, bring in a wild food. Now, there's a creek running through the property loaded with fish. Number of times fish was brought to the meal, zero. I would say that the, the number of times anything wild was brought was maybe six. So, um, and and uh, I think, you know, let's see, so we've got... Um, uh, 12 weeks, is that, yeah, that's right, 12 weeks, 12 weeks, um, and we've got 10 people, so we've got, um, that works at about 120 opportunities where wild food should have been brought. Now, wait, I'm one of the 10 people, so really it's nine. So about, let's say it's about 100. So we got six out of 100, 
And that's for obligations. Right, true. That's for meeting the obligation, which I did not please. Because that's another thing, too, is now we get in this whole space of, like, if you have agreements and you, you have obligations, you know, if you police it, now you're being a negative Nelly. Now you're bringing everybody down because you're saying, hey, man, it's been three weeks and we haven't seen you bring in any wild food, man. You know, yeah. just saying that you're a fucking loser <laughs> and you got to stop this shit, you know? Right. So, so you felt this experiment proved that people... Are human. Yeah, they're human, and they and and they'll take more than they give. Right. That just by receiving things doesn't endear them to give things. Yeah, or that's Absolutely. not the right phrase, grammar. But anyway. Absolutely. And we can we can re-examine this in forty-seven different angles, and come up with all kinds of different bits and bobs about the scenario. But the bottom line is, is I think what I'd like to ask people is that when you consider this, show respect for the experiment. This really did happen, yeah. and it makes a point. And, and people might try and squirm away from the point, but it's like, you know, let's, let's acknowledge that it's there and that it's real. Well, and I think this is part of the reasoning behind uh, your design of a community where, um, you know, you're using the best skill sets and things, but different people would have different jobs in the community. And it would be a pretty clear job. It wouldn't be, oh, here's the chores you do or the things you do for the benefit of the community. It wouldn't be, you know, oh, we each need to take our turn doing, you know, so it's all warm and fuzzy for everybody. It would be just a little bit more clear, like a working farm of, you know, well, somebody does all the cooking because we like, their food they make and they like to cook and be a little more like that. Closer to that. I mean, I, okay. I think, well, just going back to the story real quick, Yeah. the two other aspects, one aspect was the wild foods. One aspect was you wash your own dishes. Yeah. That was good about 90% of the time, 95% of the time. There were a few times where somebody was like walking away from their plate, oh, look, I got to go, and they would just leave. And then the rest of us would have to wash their stuff you know, wash their plate. And I would have to say that probably um, 80% of the time, people did not help with the the cleanup. And so I was paying the cook by the hour, so the cook was kind of like, I'll I'll get more hours if I do the cleanup myself. Right. And and I said, okay, you know, if nobody else helps to clean up, go ahead and do the cleanup. I'll pay you for it. And I just want to try and get some idea of how often am I paying for it. Well, and just as if it's not already obvious, it was a wilderness college, and so um, these were students learning about wild foods. So it wasn't like telling someone who didn't know anything about wild foods to go find a wild food. This was part of their education. Their year-long education. Yeah, and and an opportunity, really, for them to use what they were learning in a very real way. And so so you would think they would be excited and passionate and, cool, I'll bring this food in, you know, for a meal. And And so it was doubly surprising that didn't happen. Then we had problems with people stealing the food. They wanted to have their own, you know, like they wanted another meal. They got nine. They wanted 15. They wanted their lunch. They were daily pocketing food from the table, you know, and at the same time, at the same table, they would talk about 
how most people are assholes and people need to be decent, you know, stuff like that. And and so, uh, um, and then after the experiment was over, people continued to steal food. Right. So, um, uh, and, and, and so it's like, uh, wow. It was a community kitchen. It was one kitchen for right. multiple people. And, and you had made it clear, I'm providing these meals, and these meals are to be shared at the table, but the leftovers were yours. And, and so you, any of the other food was yours. And then when it was over with, that food was yours. Now, I would think that because I gave people a bunch of food that they would be all like, we love you, Paul. You're so cool. <laughs> but instead, um, I, I believe it, it led to resentment, you know, and, and that there were people that were, um, you know, the people that were stealing the food obviously had a lack of respect for me, and that, would, that came through. And um, uh, I think, you know, there was one guy there who did appreciate the food and valued it appropriately and was cool was really awesome. And um, and then there were other people there where it's like one guy even started this campaign of like, um, you can't be part of the meals anymore because he read an article about he who controls the food controls everybody. And <laughs> it's like this yeah. whole anarchy thing, you know, yeah, you want don't to- be taking their food, man. They're controlling you. Yeah, yeah. And it's kind of like, it's totally optional, man. It's not like I have control of your entire food world, yeah. you know? Yeah, it was kind I think of it was thinking about Monsanto. How yeah. Monsanto's working towards controlling all the food, yeah. and then when you're hungry, you're going to pay ten times more for food because that's what yeah. Monsanto charges. And yeah. so I kind of get the impression that he was, like, applying that to me giving nine out of 21 meals. Yeah, he was going a little crazy with things. That was a little weird. Yeah. So I think that's an excellent experiment, excellent example. Um, One of the conclusions that I came out of it was that um, it's important to have a food system such that it's not possible to steal food. And and by that I mean, like, have all the food you want. This is all your food. You can have unlimited food. You know, if you want to fill your pockets up with food, you can do that and it's not stealing. Um, and I think part of it is is that because when they got hungry and they didn't like their own food and they would steal, then because they got away with it, they felt like, ha, that Paul is such a fucking chump, you know. That, that, or who knows what. Right. And their, their opinion of the person that they stole from went down, which was the beginning of a form of disrespect which was then infectious throughout the community. Yeah, it just began to erode the relationships. It, it yeah. was just an easy, too easy way to erode. You know, and who knows? It, it could have been their own guilt for stealing, and then they had to project a um, disparagement towards you just so they felt less guilty, you know. Or whatever. You know, who knows the psychology buckets it was. So, yeah, it just was an unfortunate erosion of community. And, and, you know, I think that in any community, really, um, uh, if there is a lack of respect, then then that's where the community starts to fall apart. That and was the first item on our list was respect. Respect. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, um, I think that if, if you're living by yourself and there's a lack of respect, well, then it's not hurting anybody else. But then um, uh, I think disrespect comes in so many flavors, and it always starts with tiny things. And I think really being able to mend the tiny things is a hundred times easier than being able to mend the big things. And so, um, and I think it escalates. And I think, um, and, and so in a lot of the communication stuff that I've done for a lot of different groups, um, and, and communication stuff was my, one, one of my corporate jobs. Um, I think it starts with interruption. When, that, when a person interrupts another person, they're basically saying, what I have to say is more important than what you have to say. What you have to say is stupid. And so I have to stop you because you're a dumb fuck. And now I have to say my thing, which is gold. And so you better get used to this because my stuff is gold and your stuff is shit. Um, I think that if you wait for a person to say their piece, you are showing them respect. And if you interrupt, you're saying, I do not respect you. I think there are some of the community uh, communication models that we just said we were going to skip back and not talk about. I think some of those pays a certain amount of homage to letting people say their piece and making sure they're heard. You know, so so I um, so I think it's interesting we're going a little bit down that path, but. But in terms of respect, that was something important we wanted to touch on, but it's such a big, big topic that I think it's easy for us to wander off. Just when we were doing a preliminary discussion yesterday about this podcast, we wandered way off, or I did, especially about different ways of respecting and treating someone in how you communicate and how you view them. And and that's that's a whole huge huge psychology bucket right. that I don't want to go too far down there. But but one piece of discussion that has been brought up on permies and is a big part of how you manage people getting along on the forums is that four letter F word. Yes, the four letter word that begins with an F. Yes. Fact. Right. Right. right, and right. and so I like, you're the one who first told me about this. Yes, a farmer I know who used to be a philosophy teacher. Isn't that a perfect combination? Yeah, It's yeah. beautiful. It's um, a farmer. Yeah, it's beautiful, and he is. He's, uh, he's a brilliant man, and when he taught philosophy, he would not allow his students to use the four-letter word that begins with F, that is fact. So we've, we've seen a lot of problems at permies.com. Um, and, and, you know, even though we were seeing these problems, a lot of people felt that our forums were still far less hostile than other forums. But, um, you know, and I, I still believe it, it begins with little things. And so I'm on the lookout for the little things because I want to solve these problems while they're small before they get big. And any form of disrespect is what I'm looking for. And so recently we had a bunch of factoids out there, a bunch of people that were like, this is a fact, it's irrefutable, 
And so anybody who says anything other than this is a fucking liar. And and they didn't use those exact words, but That's that true. was you <laughs> used those words. But but that was the implication, and they were talking about. Well, they started with those exact words, and then they put frosting on them <laughs> to make them seem like it. Uh, like the same message was still getting through, right. but but they had frosting on their words. Right, and it was all about science and fact, and you know you can't use anecdotes and da 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 da, right. that kind of thing, and. Um, and there's the nuance, and and I that I was trying to look at with that is something John Gottman talks a lot about. He's an amazing expert on marriage and relationships. And if you are putting yourself on a higher pedestal than someone else, mm-hmm. that leads to in a marriage. A, in a marriage. Yeah. So here's an er- here's a, an area where everybody's equal, like in a consensus system. Right. And somebody is electing to put themselves on a higher pedestal than the others. Right. Well, and I, you know, I'm talking about in an emotional way, in a in a judgment type way. So I mean, we have all kinds of situations where someone does have a higher knowledge set and it does have more control, um, and yet they may not necessarily lord that over you. You know what I mean? True. There's still a respect for where you are at in your point of time. True. You know, um, uh, and I think on the forums, we had some really highly knowledgeable people, but they just couldn't stand it when someone else didn't have their same knowledge set, and, and they were kind of lording their knowledge set or their ideas of certain knowledge sets over other people. Do you think that would be the kind of one way to put it? Um, Not exactly. No. Yeah, I mean, when you go to college, you'll have a person standing at the front of the room. Of course. Who is being paid to be smarter than you. Of course. And, uh, in fact, people are paying, like, pretty much $100 per class, maybe more, maybe less, maybe more, uh, to listen to this person. And um, and and there are sometimes people in the class who actually know more than the professor, you know. But as a general rule of thumb, that person is supposed to know more. And sometimes that person at the front of the class is is really good at conveying a message and understanding the psychology in the room and and stuff like that. But most of the time, not really. <laughs> you know, um, uh, you know. They're, they're, they just don't have talent in that space or whatever, you know, and, and they, they uh, anyway, there's all kinds of different flavors that that can kind of go wrong. Sure. But um, uh, in a marriage or in a consensus-based system, everybody's equal. And yes, you can get one person who is like, I'm awesome and you suck, and now I'm going to crush you with whatever I've got to crush you with. And we were starting to see some of that on permies. And, and really, it's kind of like, um, uh, because it's my site, then there is like really only one person who is above the others, and that would be me. And granted, we have admins who have the ability to delete the posts of others. 
And so it seems like you might want to at least show them a little respect, so that way they're not deleting your stuff just because you pissed them off that much. <laughs> yeah. um, um, but we had people that were coming in and saying, I have the truth, yeah. and you all are stupid. Yeah. And so you all need to be glad that I'm here to set you straight. And then, uh, basically, I thought a lot of the stuff that was being presented, I thought, was less than the truth. It was less than accurate. It was flawed. And it was being presented as the truth. And, and if I wanted to even present an alternative, any way I put frosting on it seemed to be entering into a conflict. I, 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 you know, if I were to say, hey, this is just my opinion, man, it still would have appeared to be conflict. And on top of that, I had the feeling that, that on my site, if I were to try and present my position after that, that they would be angry with me for speaking something other than the truth, which they just posted. So and I kind of felt like, boy, this is not an environment that I want on my site. Right. I want something where people can feel free to share. And um, well, and the, the difference is, there's, it's okay to debate and discuss something, you know, and that's encouraged, and that's what the forum is about, and that's how people really learn to debate and discuss and bring out different pieces of knowledge, and sometimes. You have someone you're bouncing something off. You don't think of an aspect without that interchange. It's a wonderful thing, um, but when it becomes so painful that everything you're trying to bring up, that your own opinion or your own experience or your own research, is just shot down every time, and not in a way of a healthy, supportive debate, but as you said, more like, oh no, you're wrong. It's it's right. just it's no fun. It just takes all the fun this, out of that's it. That's a very yeah, no fun. There's yeah. there's a really important point. Yeah. Um and yeah. and you know and and, and the reason uh, I mean I I put the forums up and I put a, I mean I put a lot of work every day into those forums. I deleted ten thousand accounts today. Um and that took a while. Yeah. Uh and and there's a lot of reasons why I do it. And one of the reasons is is that I share my stuff. And there have been a lot of times, and when, while I feel like I'm probably out ahead of the pack in the information being provided, then um, there have been a lot of times that people have seen the information that I've provided, and then they added something to it that I didn't know. Isn't that and, great? And right now, when I'm trying to learn new things, it's like it's hard to find it with Google or whatever. And... Um, and so, and it's because the information I'm looking for is so rare. What is the allelopathic element of hawkweed? I'd really like to know. And, and yet, if I, so I go out and I present it, and then some people can see it, and then eventually somebody's going to come along and read that and say, here's the information you're looking for. And so um, I believe that by sharing in these forums, and, and granted again, a lot of different reasons for doing it, but one of the perks is going to be that I'm going to eventually get extra information. I'm going to grow from this. 
Right. And and I'm looking forward to that. And right. it happens every day. I find things on there that I never knew that I do think is very helpful and helps. Um, and I was seeing a lot of, and, and it's like for a lot of people, I was using a very, what I believe to be a very patient communication style of saying, that is not acceptable. That's, that's, not, that's outside of my comfort zone, things of that nature. And some of them were coming around. And then there got to be a critical mass of like six of them. And they must have been emailing each other offline or something. And they had come to the conclusion that they were right and that I was wrong. And that they were not going to do things the way that I needed them to be done because I was clearly wrong. So I banned all six of them. They're gone. And frankly, the whole site seems to be way better now. Right, and we did talk about this on a previous podcast, and so it's it's not to belabor that point, but it comes back to respect and letting people have their say, and and this does this is an online community, and so there's definitely correlations with that in a live community or an intentional intentional community. community. So so with. So it was important to repeat that in in that frame of reference, not just to... I think that there's a lot of... I think it's an excellent point. Yeah. And I'm interrupting you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think that these people would have been people that I would have had to have said, and now you must leave the community. Right. And now you're going... As opposed to a consensus-based community, which could take a year to eject somebody. Right. Uh, so that's a, that's a great way to tie that back in. That's excellent. So I just wanted to make sure we weren't going too far down the path. Of, let's talk about Burmese some more. I, I think that you know when it, when you've got a central leader system, then um, it's kind of like, uh, wow, you've just made it clear that you have no respect for me as the central leader. I don't understand why you're here. You're obviously in the wrong community. You need to go find a community that's a better fit for you. Off you go now. Right. And uh, um, and I think that whereas like what we see when I what I have seen in other communities is like they they try desperately to get along and at the same time they really seem to have a lot of dysfunction. And you know what this is I, before I forget, Diana Lee Christian points out in her book and in her workshop, ninety percent of intentional communities fail. So the ones that I have visited were the ones that were labeled as success. And I got to tell you that of the ones that I visited, success was not a pretty picture. I mean, they each had issues going on. Um, you know, some were not as extreme as others. You know, some things were very lackadaisical. Um, and none of them did I see a great deal of progress Another good point is, is like Sepp Holzer. If Sepp Holzer were part of a consensus-based community, I doubt he would have accomplished even 10% of the stuff that he actually accomplished. And therefore, we would not be currently aware of any of it because the reason why we become aware of it is because he's accomplished so much. Well, I, and and some people would be happy with that. I mean, for that example of 
the 40 people in the room and 20 go on one side because they're interested in community and the 20 go on the other side because they're interested in farming. The 20 people interested in community, they'd be like, that's okay because what we're doing for humankind and for each other is so important, you know. They'd be happy to spend more time on building relationships than they would be building a farm. So teach their own. Um, I'm I'm with you. I like the idea of actually getting stuff done instead of so much process. Other people really, there are people who enjoy the process. I'm thinking we've pretty much covered all our topics. The the two that were on the list that we did not get to um, have more to do with getting farmland and 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 a place to start community. Um, so I think that might be, go better with a different podcast. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I see I see the items on your list. I think you're right. We'll we'll do another podcast podcast another time. And but I do feel like um, I do feel like this is a good start. Yeah. And and it does seem like there's just there's such an enormous area. I mean, and and like in the beginning, it's 20 times bigger than all the rest of permaculture put together. And um, I believe that while it's clear in my head how I wish to proceed, um, I've not tried to write it down. I've not tried to make an article. I've not, I mean, you know, I've got bits and bobs that are on the Intentional Community Forum. That's what I was going to say. Okay. But, you know, really it's like, I think the way that we're going about this is as good as we can get for a podcast until I write a book or something, but I, I'm really not interested in writing a book on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you just want to get out there and do it right. and, and, and have your own place and, and have a community of people there. Um, and I, I think these models are going to keep evolving. I think there are some changes that could drive more and more people to live in community just because it's more affordable. And, uh, True. Um, Generally, it's going to cost, you know, a half. It's going to cost half of whatever you're currently spending on housing. And at the same time, um, your housing is going to be three times more awesome. Because, um, like, if, you, if you're if you living in a 12-bedroom house, then um, you're going to be paying for just one bedroom out of this 12-bedroom house if, it's, if you're a single person. And uh, which is going to be far far cheaper than your apartment or even a studio apartment, half easily half, and your room might even be bigger than a studio apartment. Um, and uh, and then on top of that, you're going to have a, a massive, magnificent kitchen, a massive, magnificent living room, a ma- massive, magnificent study, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it, it's it's uh, and plus on massive acreage as opposed to studios are typically part of an apartment complex and you don't get to touch the soil. Um, so I think that, uh, yeah, the upsides are, are really obvious and the cost of food is going to be a fraction. And we never even, anyway, there's so many things we didn't touch on to. Right, but I think, I think we did um, give a big overview of of the research you've done into community, some experiments you've tried, some of the upsides and downsides, some of the different community models. And I, I think really the mix of 
generally consensus with a single decision maker, you know, how there can be kind of a mix of you've got this group and, yeah, they're all, <clears throat> once they kind of know how things run and how they're going to go, they can do things, but there is a decision maker, <clears throat> one person who owns it and does it, so. Right. So I, yeah. one, mo- one model, anyway. Anyway. Anyway, and and I think it is a, a way that's very successful. I mean, in a way, I I was did this when I was a when I was eighteen, nineteen, seventeen, um, with the uh, uh, the Tubbs Ranch. Uh-huh. Um, I I stayed at a bunkhouse with, okay. and we had all oh, the food was so good. <laughs> and there's like twenty of us. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then I also um, uh, worked at the B L Davis Ranch, and I stayed in their bunkhouse. Um, uh, and it was a much bigger ranch, but but you know basically in each of those cases um, there was Mr. Tubbs at the Tubbs Ranch, and then there was B. L. Davis at the B. L. Davis Ranch, and uh, I, I drove combine, I drove swather, I drove all kinds of farm equipment for each of those, and this was you know, and I lived on the farm and and worked there, and I'm effectively part of a community, and and it was um, but it was a temporary community. Right. Um, and uh, but it was fun. I, I I had fun, and we I worked very long hours next to all these people, and it worked um, just as the um, Bullet Brothers farm works. And I I have other examples of other farms I've been to that have central leader. I mean, Salatin. You know, Salatin right. is a, you know is going to be a central leader example. Right. And uh, and then I've been to these consensus-based ones, and frankly, the vibe at the consensus-based one ones was typically um, icky vibe. I mean, it's like man, you know, stress. Lots and of festering over who's doing what or who's I didn't, doing what. Yeah, it was like one big drama. Yeah. And and yeah. Uh, the ones that were central leader all seemed like um, very clean cut. You know what the expectations were and. Um, uh, you, I don't, I don't recall anybody wanting to go take on B.L. Davis or Mr. Tubbs and saying, you don't know what the fuck you're doing. You're dumb fuck. I don't remember that ever happening. <laughs> um, and, Get and, the boot. and everybody seemed to love B.L. Davis and everybody seemed to love Mr. Tubbs. And, um, even though there were some really icky people <laughs> that were, Part of the lower echelons, um, oh, uh, uh, yeah, and and um, I, you know, anyway, a lot of these systems continue to move forward and be smooth, even though there might be a couple of less than charming folks in the group. I imagine that if whoever was in charge was less than charming, then people wouldn't go there. And the system would not work. And so, really, it's it's you, you have to have you know a good relationship with that one person. And, and one great way to have a good relationship with that one person is to simply show respect. Because if you don't, you could be fired. And and then it's like rather than telling them they're dumb shit, maybe you want to rephrase as like, "I'd like to make a suggestion, sir." <laughs> that might that might work better. And right. That's showing respect yeah. as part of the package. Yeah. Um, and and when people were um, when they should have been coming on to permies and, and making a suggestion, 
that instead they they chose the path of like um, how I'm an idiot and I'm doing it all wrong and I've got you know and the, I think there might have been some mention of the breeding that was involved that resulted in me um, and the lack of education obvious lack of low IQ uh, things of that nature and and I kind of felt like wow and I'm going to keep you around why <laughs> and those people aren't with us anymore right. wonder why right so uh, I think. Uh, uh, we're, we're, we're building a community of people that are like-minded, um, and people that are not like-minded need to find a different community. Mm-hmm. Good enough? Are we done with this podcast now? I think this has been a long one, but uh, yeah, I lots need to of stuff. <laughs> oh, great. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you like this sort of thing, come on out to the forums at permies.com, where we talk about community, homesteading, and permaculture all the time.